KMTT, כי מציון תצא תורה. שיעורים for this month, month of Shvat, are being broadcast לעילוי נשמת הרב אברהם יצחק בן חיים יהודה, and חונר ראובן בן משה חיים. Today's shir is dedicated, the schut of the shir should be for the refuah shlema of דבורה אידל בת מרים ברכה, זכות התורה, זכות הפצת התורה, תעמוד לה רפואה שלמה, רפואת הנפש, רפואת הגוף, השתא בעגלה ובזמן קריב. KMTT. Welcome back. Today is Wednesday. This is Ezubek. And we're going to have a, uh, another episode in the series on Agadat Breshit, Medrashim from Breshit. This is the second week. Today's Medrash is found in Parsha Aleph, Medrash Dalet. It's, I think the original idea is quite familiar, but uh, we're going to follow the Medrash to its end where I'm not sure... It's quite as famous and quite as quoted as the, as the original opening idea. The Medrash states as follows. <coughs> Excuse me, I have a bit of a cold, uh, which I suspect that on a recording is going to be more disturbing than it would be in real life. So I'm asking you to bear with me. I'll try not to cough. Breshit bara elokim. Shisha devarim kadmu lebriyat haolam. יש מהם שנבראו ויש מהם שעלו במחשבה להיברות. So the Medrash states that six things precede creation. Precede the creation of the world. This very idea of something preceding creation is frankly logically paradoxical. In other words, they preceded the first things. They preceded the first things, then they're the first things. If all you're trying to say is that before uh, something mentioned specifically in the Pasuk in Beishit, there was something else, that's not that extraordinary a statement. Uh, you say that Shemayim Va'aretz preceded the Or, which a simple reading of the Pasuk might uh, lead one to conclude. I think the Major is saying more than that, that everything, something precedes it. So there is a paradox involved. These six things are precursors to what we call the world. As we see, the six things are not, they're not objects in the world. Yesh mehem shenivru, v'yesh mehem she'alu b'machshava lehibarot. Of the six things, some were actually created, and some were conceived. Alu b'machshava lehibarot. The idea of them arose in God's mind that they should be created. Okay, the list will make clear what the distinction is. HaTorah v'kisei ha-kavod nivru. Two things were actually created before the world. One, Torah. Two, kisei ha-kavod, God's throne of glory. I'm still quoting. We're going to understand it in a few minutes. Torah minayin shenemar Hashem kanani reishit dako. Kisei ha-kavod minayin dekhtev nachon kisacha me'aaz me'olamata. Okay, so quotes a pasuk. The pasuk is not important. One pasuk talking, as Chazal understand it about Torah, Pasuk and Mishnah, Hashem kanani reshit dako, 
God acquired me at the very beginning of his way, and the assumption is that who is speaking, Torah is speaking. And Kisayah Kavos, it says, Nachon Me'az, your throne, God, has been ready, Me'az, forever, from ever. Four things were they were conceived but not actually created. And they are Avot, the forefathers, Israel, Beit Hamikdash, Ushmo Shel Mashiach, and the name of the Mashiach. And the Medrash quotes four different Pesukim for those four things. I'm not going to quote all the proof texts for these four things. Okay. Rabbi Ava Barabi Zira Amar Afat Shuva Shinamar Beterem Harim Yuladu. So Rabbi Ava says a seventh thing was created before the world was created, and that's Shuva, repentance. Alright, what does it mean? First of all, what does it mean that something was created before the world was created? And two, what's the distinction between those things that were created before creation? And those things that were conceived to be created before creation. It's important to to understand that the question of precedence in Chazal, I think, is logical. The very idea that there are some things which precede the world, but only in conception, and not in and not in actual doing, I think makes that clear. To say that, I, I would assume that. As far as we can understand, psychologically, God conceived of everything he made before he made it. In other words, God had the idea of the horse before he actually made a horse. Otherwise, how would he do it? So the idea that four things were conceived before the world doesn't merely mean that oh, God thought of them before he did it. The word precedence here doesn't mean means logical precedence, not necessarily temporal precedence. Something is proceeding in the sense, in the, in the Greek philosophic sense, that it's a kind of cause. The cause must precede its effects. And therefore, it's a necessary design, a necessary requirement of the design of the world that these four, and ultimately these six things, should be in existence in some sense before the world was created because they are their existence is the basis for the world's existence. Now, in Greek philosophy, there are at least two different senses in which we can say that something is a cause. It could be an efficient cause, in which case it actually has to be in existence beforehand, or it could be a teleological cause. It's the purpose. Sitting is a cause of seats. The reason why we make seats is because we need to sit. If there was no such thing as the need to sit, there wouldn't be any chairs. And that, I think, is the distinction between the two groups that exist here. Torah and Kisei Kavod are efficient causes, causes in the usual sense of the world. The Torah actually pre-exists, pre-temporally exists before the world, because, as we'll soon say, I'll quote the source, the world is created in some sense by the Torah, or at least according to the plan laid out in the Torah. Similarly, Kisei HaKavod doesn't mean the God's throne of glory. It means God's majesty. The, the term Kisei HaKavod, the throne of glory, I don't know what kind of a seat exactly is. What do we mean when we say that God sits? We don't mean any of those things. But we mean is that God is king, and therefore the kingship of God, the majesty of God, exists before the world exists. 
Stuff in the second point. Why does the Kisei Kavod exist before the world exists? Because God's majesty is is integral. It's absolute. It is true, as we will soon see, that the world also serves God's majesty. But nonetheless, the majesty has to exist before. Only because God was king was he able to create the world. When he made the world, he made it as the king makes it. And that's why the world is his subject. That's why we are his subject. That's a very important point that Chazal is making here. That despite whatever we're going to say in the future, and we're going to say a lot of things which may sound, which may sound contradictory to this idea, it's still important to realize that the absolute nature relationship of the world to God is that God is king and the world is automatically, by definition, by virtue of being created, subject to God. Especially in modern philosophy, we often tend to uh, emphasize the opposite point. You have a relationship with God, you create a relationship with God, we emphasize different words. It's very rare to hear someone today talking about God being king. Avinu is much more prominent than Malkeinu. We're uncomfortable with the idea of kingship. And if God is king, it's because we make him king. And I did, which I 100% wholeheartedly uh, agree and subscribe. But the opposite is also true. Even if we do not make God king, if we do not recognize his kingship, even if we don't pray and don't learn Torah and don't accept upon ourselves the yoke of mitzvot, God is still king. Because no matter what happens in the world, God is king. Absolute. Master. And if that idea makes you uncomfortable, perhaps because you're too much of a Democrat, or perhaps because you're too much of a believer in your own autonomy. We want to be good, but we don't want to be slaves. But it is a real principle in Judaism that avodat Hashem, the word avodah is the same root as the word Evan. You serve God because God is God. He's king. And you are his, by definition, his servant. So that's, I think, what it means that Kisei kavod Kadma Olam. It exists and is not supported by the world. Let me put it a little bit differently. Do you need a world to have a Kisei kavod, or do you need Kisei kavod to have a world? Does the world have to exist for God to be king or does God have to be king for there to be a world? The Gemara answers, this Medrash answers. God is king and therefore there's a world. Before God went to make the world, he first fashioned, as it were, Kisei kavod, And he sat on Kisei kavod, And he put the throne on his head and then as king he said, let there be a world. Okay, what does it mean to say the Torah? Kadma la'olam. So there's a very famous Medrash, very famous because it's the first one of the first Medrashim in the Medrash Rava on Veshit, which we skipped when I started reading the Medrash Rava. Um, in Perak Aleph. The very first Medrash, Kotz Pasuk, Ve'ye Etzlo Amon, Ve'ye Shashum Yom Yom. The Torah says, same Perak Mishlei, which our Medrash was based on. The Torah or wisdom says, I will be by him, by God, an Amon. What does the word Amon mean? So the Medrash answers, Amon pedagogue, which means, surprisingly enough, a pedagogue, a teacher. And, and it explains why that's what the word Amon means. And then the Medrash basically explains that the Torah was the blueprint for the world. 
The world was created in um, in reflection of what it says in the Torah. As the Medrash there says, HaTorah Omeret Ani Hayiti Kli Umnato Shel HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I was the master technician or the master blueprint of how the world was how the world was created, and and so the, 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 this is the first two things listed. Torah precedes the world because the world reflects is built according to the principles of the Torah, and two, the world is a reflection, is a result, is an expression of the fact that God is the absolute master of all. The idea, I, I'm going to leave it to you to think about it a little bit, because uh, I think it's, you've probably heard it discussed in other, in other contexts. The idea that the Torah is the blueprint for the world, offhand would seem to imply, and I think this was at least part of what Chazal's intention was, that the Torah isn't unnatural. In other words, that although there are obviously sometimes conflicts between what we think are natural urges and what's in the Torah, but the Chazal are really stating that, no, you should know that underlying underlying all, underlying physics and chemistry and human nature and biology and psychology, the principles of the Torah are more basic. The world is not in opposition to Torah. Sometimes in, in certain philosophies you'll have this idea of, of, of emphasizing the opposition between the good and the world. The world is evil, the world is bad, the world is chaotic. So undoubtedly in Jews we have that as well. We have to make some sort of order in the world. It's left for us to do it. But the basic principles of the world, as I'll say, are reflective of the Torah. And therefore, from our point of view, to put the equation backwards, the Torah is natural. You're not being asked to deny basic human nature to follow the Torah. On the contrary, basic human nature is based on the Torah. Okay, those are the first two things which preceded the world. So before God made the world, these two things were in existence. His kingship and the Torah, his wisdom, which the world will then uh, carry out, fulfill. What are the four things? What does it mean to be something which is Allah b'machshavta? So here I think the Prat is almost the opposite. These are deficient causes. These are necessary prerequisites for an existence, for the world to exist. On the contrary, they did not actually exist. There was no Yisrael, there was no Avot, there was no Beit HaMikdash. And apparently there was no Shem Shamashiach. There was no name of the Messiah. These things have to precede the world in the sense that only if these things exist in God's mind is there any point in making the world. In other words, and this might strike you as, as not what the word precedes mean, but I, I repeat, I think this is what the word precedes does mean in the mind of Chazal. And in, in most of the ancient world, these things precede the world because the world exists in order to reach them, in order to be fulfilled by their existence. In other words, they're the end, not the beginning, not the pre-beginning, but these are the ends of the world. And a rational actor has his goals before he goes to do uh, something. So the four things which precede the world are the goals of the world, and therefore they had to precede the world as goals, as concepts. 
And that explains why God made the world, because he was heading in that direction. He was trying to reach these four things. What are the four things? Avot v'Yisrael, very, very similar. Uh, we're going to have to distinguish between them. But what they both mean, first of all, is a human being, or a people, who, in fact, worship God, who, in fact, reflect God's glory. So the whole world exists for either Ha'avot, the special individuals, or Israel, their descendants, but the difference being a nation, a community, which of course, although it doesn't say so, will Yishmor et HaTorah. Now this is what I said before, I think, even though it doesn't say it explicitly, I believe that this is really the opposite idea, it is the opposite idea, to the Kisei HaKavod. God is king before the world exists, but... He created the world so that there should be a people who will serve him. And, and what's the point there? So I, I, I'm adding here, I think I'm being a little bit unfair. No, it doesn't actually say this, but I believe that what I'm saying is correct. A people, a person, Avam Avinu says, I worship God, I've discovered God. That is Kisei HaKavod. That is another form of Kisei HaKavod. That's God's majesty in the world, that the world should accept God. So, God was king before the world, but he created the world so that the world, so he should be king in the world. And that kingship in the world here is called either Avot or Yisrael. The difference between them, I'm not really sure why, why the Medrash decided to explicitly distinguish between them. The difference obviously is individuals or community. Since the individuals, known as Avot, they're not in opposition to the community. They're the basis of the community. They're the four fathers. To a great extent, Chazal relate to Avraham Avinu as being really Am Yisrael. He's the whole Jewish people at a time when there's only one. So I'm not really sure as to why it was important for the Midrash to state it as being two different, two different Devarim, two different goals. As I've explained what the word Devarim means here, goals. It's basically the same goal. That there should be within the world, someplace, somewhere, at least one person, or an entire community, who will recognize the fact that the creation of the world was so that the world should recognize that God is the creator, that God is the king. You might see in this medrash, a reflection of the age-old tension and conflict between the individual and the community. If it was two different opinions, I'd be more inclined to understand it that way. One Chacham said Avot, one Chacham said Israel. But in fact, it's not two different opinions, it's one opinion that they're both. So, I guess you'd say it's two sides of the equation. The, the individual, one individual, who takes the role of furthering God's cause in the world on his shoulders... That is what the whole world exists for. On the other hand, not so much as an alternative, but on the other hand, to complete the picture, even his work is meant to be, in the end, the work of a community. Maybe not such great individuals. Each individual Jew is not of a Mavino. But taken as a whole, God's glory is reflected more in the community than it could be on the shoulders of one greater, but nonetheless lone, individual. Okay, that, that, that's how I feel about these two of them. The last two. Beit HaMikdash Ushmo Shamashiach. So I think it's, it's, it's clear. In what sense is the Beit HaMikdash preceding the world as a concept, not as an existence? 
Okay, the Beit HaMikdash is the place where, in fact, the division between God and the heavens and the world as something distinct, made by him, but now distinct from him, is, is uh, negated. The Shekhinah is B'toch olam. God made the world so that he should dwell in the world. Despite how difficult that concept is, because the world is the world and God is God, and God is perfect and the world is, is imperfect and difficult and sinful and, and, and dirty, etc., but nonetheless, God made the world so that His Shekhinah, His presence, should be in the world. And where would that take place? That's the Beit HaMikdash. So the Beit HaMikdash, the concept of Beit HaMikdash, precedes the world. Shemoshan Mashiach. Why did they say Shemoshan Mashiach? Okay, let's start with Mashiach. The Mashiach precedes the world in the sense that the completion of the political order in the world, there's two kinds of Shekhinah in the world. One is a holy Shekhinah in the world, God's presence as Kedusha, that's Beit HaMikdash. And the other ones is God's presence in the world as Malchut Hashem, the kingship of God, the rule of the law of God. So that's Mashiach. Mashiach is king. Of course, he's king under God. He's king as reflecting God's uh, fulfillment of the political, social process of human development. And therefore, both those things, Beit HaMikdash as a place where God will, this is the words we use, dwell so to speak, dwell in the world, and Mashiach as the individual who will carry out God's political, social organization, kingship of the world, will take place. You will say to me, what does the expression Shemo shel Mashiach mean? Why could you say Mashiach? If we're talking only about conceptions in any event. So just as the Mashiach doesn't exist, his name doesn't exist either, but only the conception of his name exists. In terms of a name, there's no difference between the conception of a name and a name. In any event, it's not a real thing. So if there's no Mashiach, then there's no name, except the name is what Mashiach will be called. Why do they use the phrase, Shemo Shal Mashiach? Uh, it's true, the Pasuk that's quoted, Yehi Shemo Olam. Uh, it's Hashem there, it says name. But is there any meaning to the word, the name of the Mashiach? I don't know the answer. I'd be happy to hear from anybody who has, a, has an idea about this. You have to be a bit open-minded. Uh, in order to understand what's going on. But uh, I don't at this point have an, ex- an explanation as to what the name, what it means, Shem Shal Mashiach, as opposed to Mashiach. In, in, I'll give you just a hint, but I don't think, I don't see how it works here. In general, I think, when Chazal talk about, or even Sukim, but especially Chazal talk about the name of something, the name means the... Um, external glory, what other people call you. Like the name of God, as opposed to God, is God lives in the heavens, but His name lives in our mouths. Vaikra v'shem Hashem. Rashi says, Abraham Abinu was korei v'shem Hashem, and Rashi explains, he kri shem Hashem b'fi kol ha'boriyot. He put God's name, injected God's name into the mouths of all the people around. So the Shem of something, the name of something, is its glory, its kavod, it's pursum, it's it's public relations, it's 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 publicity. A shemoshal Mashiach doesn't mean the individual of the Mashiach as a righteous person. That's a vote. I, Mashiach will be a righteous person, but we're not looking at him as the tzaddik who carries the world on his shoulders. But Shemoshal Mashiach is his majesty, so to speak, over the world. No, that, that, I think the answer is somewhere along those lines, but I'll leave it to you to think about it. Rabbi Avau, Rabbi Zer, Amar Afat Shuvah. The seventh thing was tshuva precedes the world. This is a tremendous chiddush, and this really is another person's name. Here already there's a machlok, it's six or seven. 
What's the point of adding tshuva to the list? Well, let me start the other way around. Why shouldn't you add tshuva to the list? The answer is clear. When God made the world, He didn't make the world so that people should do tshuva. He made the world so people should be pure. Tshuva is obviously an afterthought. After there's a problem, after people have sinned, then God in His mercy said, okay, I will open up the door of repentance and nonetheless allow you to survive, to fix so that's why it shouldn't be included. It didn't precede the world. It wasn't one of those things which had to exist before God could get to work. Only after he got to work and then we messed it up and God said, oh, I need something new to make now. And that's why it's left out of the list. In that sense, tshuva, repentance, is the most antecedent thing to creation. In the six days, not only did it precede creation, it wasn't even, I would have said, it's not even in the six days of creation. Everything made in the six days of creation was made perfectly. Perfect dogs, perfect skies, perfect suns, perfect moons, perfect people. After the six days are over, and man sins, and the world goes in a certain direction, as patachta petach litshuvah, this is an expression used in the tefillah, you opened up the door, you made something new, when things didn't work out well, it's, there's pre-creation, creation, that's everything else. One thing, if there's one thing that I would call anti-creation, after-creation, it would be tshuva, so it shouldn't be included. But Rabbi Abba says, Rabbi Ava says, excuse me, Rabbi Ava Rabbi Zeyla says, Af ha-tshuva shenema b'terem harim yuladu tashev enosh adaka v'tomu shuvu b'nei adam. You already said, if we read the psukim that is quoting from Tehillim Perik Tzadi, what these psukim said is, before anything was made, you already said to man, Shuvu b'nei Adam. What does that mean? God said to man, repent, even before he made man. I think the answer is clear. What Rabbi Abba is saying is that it's not true. It, it would be a mistake to think that God made the world to be perfect, and then, oy, something went wrong, so he pulled a second rabbit out of the hat. When God made the world, He made an imperfect world. If it was a perfect world, we wouldn't be in it. It would be just God. He made a world of basar, vadam, of people, of earth. It's imperfect by definition, because it's created. And therefore, the possibility of sin is integral to the world. It's not good. It's to be avoided at all costs. But it's there. And therefore, were it not for the concept of tshuva, the world could have been created. When God made the world, He knew it would be, among other things, bad. And therefore, it's totally unjustified. How could God do that? How could He make something bad? God can't make something... To make something bad? The good cannot create the bad. The answer is, tshuva preceded it. The possibility of tshuva, the concept of tshuva. Or maybe the possibility of tshuva itself. I don't know if this is one of the two or one of the four. Tshuva precedes the world itself because it's a necessary prerequisite for the creation of the world. There are a number of medrashim later on in this parsha which uh, emphasize this basic idea that God wasn't surprised to find that things go wrong. It's a little bit later. Medrash Vav. It's two medrashim later. Quoting the Pasuk in Daniel. Gali amikta umistarta. God uncovers the deep and the hidden. And the Midrash says, Elu Masayim Shal Rishayim. Umistauta, Elu Masayim Shal Rishayim. That 
the actions of the evildoers, of the Rishayim, was hidden and covered. In other words, when God said, let there be light, He didn't say, let there be Rishayim. When He said, let there be man, He didn't say, let there be man bad. He said, let there be man good. So it was covered. It wasn't explicit. But for God, it was uncovered. Gali amikta umistata. God knew what He was doing. He knew that there are two possibilities in the world. Freedom of will is implicit in the world. And therefore he knew that he was making a world in which there would be ma'asim shalashayim. So our Midrash says, and how is that possible? Because there's something that precedes it. Tshuva. The possibility of tshuva makes it worthwhile. In other words, one of the goals of the creation of the world, when we said the goal is God's glory, God's kingship, Tzidkut, Torah, one of the goals of the creation of the world is Teshuvah. Why? It's the same goal. God's glory and kingship in a world that's imperfect will be reached through repentance and not merely through accepting His kingship because the world is imperfect. So the acceptance will not be perfect, but if there'll be tshuva, that'll make it all worthwhile. Okay, that's the first half of this Midrash. These are things which preceded the world. And now comes the really strange part. The Medrash says, Aval Those two things which were actually created before the world was created. So which one was created first? This is like a really silly question. I mean, like, what do we care? In, in what sense is it really true? I mean, do I imagine that these are days, one day God made Torah, one day God made Kiseya Kavod? The idea which we were trying to express was these things have to precede the world. Okay, Torah precedes the world and Kiseya Kavod. God's majesty precedes the world. But what does the question mean? Which one comes first? Does Torah precede majesty or does majesty precede Torah? Amar Rabbi Abba Bar Kahana. I'll give you the answer before we answer the question. HaTorah kadma lakisei hakavot shenemar Hashem kanani reishit darko. So he said, based on the psukim which were quoted for Torah and for Kisei HaKavod, it seems to him that Torah precedes, because it says, Hashem Kanani Reshit Dako, very first thing, was Torah, whereas Kisei HaKavod, it just says, Nachon Me'az, your uh, chair, your throne was ready from then, from the, from the earliest then. But Reshit is even earlier. What does it mean? that Torah precedes majesty. And what would it have meant if majesty had preceded Torah? I'm going to suggest an answer. In all honesty, this is rather speculative. And if you use your own imaginations and you're open, perhaps you'll think of something else and I'd be happy to hear from you. But I think what it means is the following. It's true that philosophically God's kingship is absolute, meaning it's, it's basically eternal. It's part of God. But... But the Medrash is saying that God's kingship over things has to be and can only exist in accordance with the Torah. In other words, here's like it's it's like the prerequisite. In other words, those things which were created before the world, they're prerequisites. Majesty is not a prerequisite for Torah. You might think it is. That's why it was a good question. Because God is king, therefore he can make rules. So the Torah is a book of rules. The book of law requires a lawmaker. Lawmaker is the king. Rabbi Abba says no. Torah is a prerequisite for majesty. God's kingship 
derives from the fact that he is Milamed HaTorah, or that the Torah exists, that Chochmato Shel HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God's wisdom exists. Because the majesty will be in accordance with the rules. If this was a regular political question, we would say, what comes first, the king or the constitution? So in a democracy, the answer obviously is, what comes first, the presidency or the constitution? The, pres- the constitution creates the presidency. I would have thought that Judaism is different. Judaism is not a democracy. So I would have thought that God's kingship comes before, so to speak, the constitution, the laws. The king gave us the laws, which, which is obviously true. God gave us the Torah. But the Medrash says, but in terms of this aspect, kingship or law, yes, that, that, that constitutional attitude, that the constitution creates the office, so the Torah, in other words, by fulfilling the rules of the Torah, God's kingship derives from that. It's a radical idea. Even though we said God's kingship is absolute and precedes actual people and precedes the world. But nonetheless, it derives from the fact that there already exists a Torah which will tell those people how to exist tomorrow. And if there are no rules, no mitzvot, no values, no wisdom, then kingship becomes meaningless. Wisdom can exist without kingship, but kingship cannot exist without, without wisdom. And the Medrash concludes, I have to rush now because I'm running out of time. The Medrash concludes, Rabbi Huna, Rabbi Yirmi, B'Shem Rabbi Shmuel, Bar Rabbi Yisrak Amru. You asked which comes first, Torah or Kisei Kavod, because you only asked about the two things which actually existed. You thought that the things which only conceptually existed, makes no sense to ask which comes first. Uh-uh, you made a mistake. Machshaftan shel Yisrael kadma lechol davar. Yisrael, Jews, as a concept. Machshaftan shel Yisrael. The concept of the Jews precedes everything, including Torah, including Kisei HaKavad. Why is that? Mashal melech she'ana sui matrona achat. King was married to a, a woman. And he had no child. They had no child. One time the king was walking in the shuk. And he said to one uh, merchant, uh, I want to buy this material for my son. I want to buy these toys for my son. Everybody said, but he has no son. And he's buying things for his son. And then they realized, ah, Amru Melech Astrologus Gadolu. The king must be an astrologer. And he knows that he's going to have a son from from his queen. And that's why he says, for my son, meaning for my son, who will come. If God had not foreseen that the Jews would accept the Torah 26 generations down the line from creation, Simple point. The Torah, which preceded everything, even the Kisei HaKavod, but look in the Torah. What does it say in the Torah? It's addressed to people. It's addressed to the Jews. And therefore, the Torah is God's wisdom. His kingship derives from the application of His wisdom. But as a concept, when I say concept, what do I mean? As I defined in the beginning of today's shiur, the concepts that pre-exist, they pre-exist as goals. What God is really interested in is a people who will accept his kingship by following his rules. So the first thing that exists is the idea of 
Yisrael, a people who are the people of God, who, 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 whose king is God. That concept has to exist. To them the Torah is addressed. So the Torah then is written to give them the rules of how God will be your king and you will be his people. Having done that, having the Torah come into existence, then God is already king because he is the one who has the Torah. And then he creates the world and watches and waits and helps for the world to actually fulfill the original, the original vision. Okay, so the actual order, as the Medrash says is, first comes the idea of Israel, a people who exist in relationship to God, who is their king. Then comes Torah. Then comes Kisei HaKavod, God's actual kingship. Then comes other concepts. Avot, Beit HaMikdash, Shemosh Mashiach. And then the actual world comes into, comes into existence. And that's it for today. I'm very happy to say that apparently talking a lot has kept my cough under bounds because before I began to talk, I was coughing continually. We'll be back next week with another episode in Medrashe Bereshit. This has been Ezra Bek, and this has been KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah, Udvar Hashem Yerushalayim. And we'll meet again for more Torah every day in the future with our Shiurim here on KMTT. Kol Tov Rav.